Managing money and knowing what is good for your financial well-being at every stage of life is a skill. It's a skill that every person needs. Managing money well means having an adequate level of protection, more savings than debt, and knowing how the choices we make can either make us or break us. Of course, we're all human. So in Your Money Matters, a podcast brought to you by Discovery, I unpack practical aspects on banking, life insurance, investments, and more in discussions with experts. Join me for these interesting conversations and hear how small things we do can take us to greater levels of financial security and more of life's rewards. So what is your relationship with money? Why do you feel the way you do about money? How does that affect the way that you deal with money and what would be the consequences over the long term as a result of the behaviors that come from your feelings about money? Critical questions for anybody wanting to invest because your behavior determines your outcomes. David Zeidel is a lecturer at many business schools across South Africa. He is an author. And David Liebowitz is the Associate Specialist in Technical Marketing at Discovery. David Zeidel, um, why do we make the financial decisions that we do? How do we make those decisions? So I think a lot of people make financial decisions by complete default. And it's without much thought. And what happens from a human point of view is we either in our head or we in our heart. We either thinking or we feeling. And a lot of the decisions we make financially are feeling. So I think a lot of financial decisions are made impulsively without the thought process going into it initially. And that becomes the problem financially long term. Because if you keep making decisions based on how you feel at the time, your feelings change, your decisions change, and you make decisions that are great short-term, but not great long-term. How do we separate the two? We are complex beasts as human beings. Our decision-making processes generally are made on feelings. I mean, we don't necessarily think about the people we fall in love with, at least not initially. It's a feeling when we are deciding what we're going to have for supper. It's not an intellectual decision. It's a feeling it's an emotion perhaps we don't necessarily give anything we do nearly sufficient thought possibly david i agree with you 100% and that's the difference between what used to be called the slow thinking and the fast thinking the fast thinking is the immediate reaction our feelings and all animals have that and that's our animalistic behavior but we as humans have that other aspect which is the thinking and that's where we need to slow down and think And we've got to force ourselves, in fact, to do that. So you're right. We just react, make decisions. But it's around let's stop, slow down and think what do we really want. And once we've got that long term planning, then we've got to stick to it. So we've got other thinking along the way of every time we now have made this long term plan or we've looked at something which we generally avoid. Let's say we've made a long term plan. How do we keep ourselves on track? How do we stop ourselves from making that emotional decision or emotional purchase and think, does this fit into my long-term plans? It's so interesting, isn't it? Because when we look and we think about our own behavior when it comes to money and we go, look at that car or look at that house or look at that pair of shoes or look at that handbag or look at that phone, whatever it might be that attracts our attention and distracts us from our long-term planning, 
is emotional. We may be feeling a little bit under the weather. We may feel like we need a little bit of retail therapy. So we act emotionally. I mean, what makes us want to drive one brand of car over the other? Most of us don't look under the bonnet, don't look at the specs of the car. We look at the car that makes us feel like we're finally cracking it, I suppose. And that's the problem. How do we then separate this animal emotion versus human intellect, David. How do we actually do that? So you need to start off with an absolute plan. And I don't know if you remember, I think you're far too young to remember it, but in the (laughs) early days, we used to have these boards when these motivational speakers used to come up and put up these boards or these goal boards, and you used to physically take pictures and stick them on the board of like this beautiful house, and that's what I want to get to. And they said, you need to stick it on the mirror that's in front of you. So every day when you're brushing your teeth or you're shaving, you're seeing that and that's your goal and it's in your face all the time. We need to do something similar to that. Maybe in a different way, but we need to first of all, sit down, think, discuss what is our main goal? What do we want to achieve? And then what is the plan to get there? And it's fascinating. I drove to the studio today And I left early, early this morning because I was uh, out of town. And I was thinking, when we have a plan, we've got to plan how long is that trip going to take? What's the speed I'm going to travel at? And if I leave it too late, I've got to travel faster. And as I need to travel faster, it gets more and more dangerous. And at some point, it's just not even achievable. And it's the same with finances. So you've got to, first of all, make that decision. You've got to know what that decision is. But then you've got to know what are the steps that you take as you go along to achieve that goal. And the most important thing is keep reminding yourself of what that goal is. Because we get distracted all the time as human beings. And I've got this goal and I'm saving money for this house. But all of a sudden, as you say, wow, those shoes look great. Or my neighbor has bought this amazing car. I don't want to look as if I'm not as good as my neighbor. I better get the same car. And all of a sudden, we're distracted from what the main goal is. So we have to find a way of being able to remind us of what that goal is. And the problem also is there's a concept in behavioral economics of what we call discounting the future. When things are in the future, they seem less significant than if they are right now. So even somebody who's trying to lose weight If they look in the future at being thin, that's what their goal is. But boy, this piece of cake in front of me looks a lot better now. We discount the future and you've got to keep remembering what is it that we want the most compared to what do we want now? And we often make the now decision than the most decision. What glorious analogies. I mean, my repost to you about the cake is that in five years' time, the cake will be stale. And so that's why it's got to be eaten now. I mean, that's a fairly obvious answer. Uh, David Zadel, what wonderful analogies and what wonderful thoughts you've planted in our brain. David Leibovitz, can we therefore help people 
to make better decisions. Because in the short term, there is distraction, there is enticement, there is advertising. If you pick up, you know, go to the dentist, which is essential, and you pick up a copy of Vogue in the days when dentists did have magazines on the little tables in the middle of the room, and you were allowed to touch them, you look at the Vogue pages, and there's a Mont Blanc pen and a Cartier watch, and you just have this extraordinary FOMO because the world is moving on and you are the one who's responsible with the pictures of the house and the car and the school you want your kids to go to on the bathroom mirror, as David Zidell suggests we do, yet everything is so pretty. And it'll make you feel better and it'll make you look better and it'll make you a better person if you have the short-term fix. How do we break that? So, Bruce, I mean, the first step is is recognizing that we're impulsive and, and sometimes irrational in our decisions. But pointing out irrationality, uh, it's not enough to change behavior. How often uh, when people tell us to change our behavior, do we do it just because they tell us to? So you know, one of the solutions is you can take advantage of a program like Vitality Money, which is Discovery Bank's behavioral program. And what this does is it incentivizes you and nudges you to make more rational, positive financial decisions. David Zidal spoken about discounting the future what we need to do is use this program to help counter the irrationality. And the thing is that these irrational decisions, are, they're the ones that bring people joy. So you need to use another incentive or reward to persuade them to make the more rational decision. An example of this is how we've taken savings for our clients and gamified that experience. So as part of our active rewards program, we reward clients for managing their savings every week. And what happens if the balance drops below a certain threshold, they don't get a reward. But instead, if they maintain that savings balance, we tie a reward to that positive behavior, they get part of our shared value rewards currency, which is Discovery Miles. And then they can use that micro reward to something like a coffee or a smoothie, and that can still give them that serotonin hit. And or alternatively, they can build these Discovery Miles up and accumulate them over time towards something larger. And then that reward incentivizes them to break their bad behaviors. Is that sustainable, though, David Zidell? I mean, I, after you know a month or two of getting free smoothies and the thrill of getting the free smoothie, I kind of go, but I can get one of those little polystyrene things with four cups and then four of my own smoothies if I can spend the money right now and I can get all four flavors and I can sit there and have them until I feel sick. When we incentivize better behavior, unless it changes fundamentally the way we think, is it sustainable? I think it goes to what uh, Simon Sinek talks about of finding your why. You have to have a very powerful driving force of why am I going to give up something in the short term that I really can enjoy right now for something in the future that seems a lot smaller. But the rewards are trying to do substitution rewards. So it's trying to give you the reward in the short term so that you're not just delaying the reward until the future, you're getting these little gains as you go along. But it has to speak to you personally. So if you love cappuccino and you carry on loving cappuccino, yes, it's going to motivate you. But if it doesn't, if now you're sick of coffees, then it'll lose its effect that now another cappuccino, another cappuccino. So a reward like this is you need to find a way of rewarding yourself that continues rewarding you in the short term. And if you're the type of person who likes looking at goals, you might even want to carry on doing it when you see an indicator staying in the green rather than the red, even if you're not getting the cappuccinos. But you've set yourself a target and you can see that you're on track. That can motivate you. 
The problem also with human psychology is sometimes when we stop hitting the goals that we want, we get so demotivated that we stop looking at it at all. And I was reading some research recently that spoke about the financial crisis and the dip now that we had with the markets, that people who were invested in the stock markets as it was going up, they were logging in two, three times a day to look at their share portfolios. But the moment things went bad, that's the time you need to really monitor it. People stopped even looking at it. When they start feeling bad about something, they stop looking at it. And that's the time when you need to really look at it. So in terms of long versus short term gains, yes, it definitely helps to have some short term rewards helping you with the long term gains. But it has to talk to you and you have to really be able to motivate yourself based on that. And so maybe rather than just coffees, it could be a choice of many different things, but things that speak to you. David Leibovitz, I mean, when it comes to the sustainability of the rewards and the changing of behavior, when you look at the data patterns and Bruce comes in and he's getting his free cappuccino every week or every month or whatever the frequency is, and he's loving his free cappuccinos and eventually he's kind of, I couldn't be bothered to exercise the points or decides to not claim the points because he wants to get something bigger and better later on because he's learning a little bit of restraint. Are you seeing those? changes in sustainable behavior where people stop claiming the short-term rewards and they start going actually I'm beginning to understand this benefit of delayed gratification. We've just made a change to our banking program actually where we're really now trying to push the concept of loss aversion. So loss aversion is is when you want to change people's behavior to based on a fear of, of losing out on a particular reward. Now, with our current program, if clients can see that they're getting a particular reward this month, say they're getting 75% off of their healthy groceries, what we've done is we've added in a new view that people can see how their rewards are tracking for the following month. And the impact of this is, oh, I can see I'm getting 75% now, but my percentage for next month is actually looking like 30%, 35%. And you know, people, they don't want to lose out on that big number. So again, they, they keep up those positive behaviors more because they're scared of losing out on that positive reward and they want to get it in the next month. And we've just launched this and we're already seeing a very positive feedback from clients that this is driving positive behavior and, and sustaining interest in the program and the rewards themselves. David Ibovitz, you guys base, and there's a, a global study on this concept of shared value, is if I, as your customer, feel I'm getting something from you, you get a commensurate benefit as the business as well. I mean, a lot of this is based around that, isn't it? Absolutely. So, you know, a lot of the stuff we're doing at Discovery Bank is underpinned by the principles of shared value banking. And the shared value banking model is something we've developed and designed on the back of other successful shared value models we've implemented across the Discovery businesses. And the objective of these models is to create sustainable, mutually beneficial relationships between clients, in our case in the bank, and society. And what happens is that for clients, they'll benefit from improved wealth and uh, higher savings levels, competitive interest rates and fees, amazing incentives and benefits, and overall, an exceptional client experience. And for the bank, what this is going to mean is improved product usage and greater persistency from our clients. And most importantly, it'll lead to a low risk of missed payments and defaults amongst our client base. And then the great thing is that for society, all of this leads to kind of overall more disposable income and greater wealth and potentially less financial reliance on the state, family and friends. And 
particularly in, in retirement when people have the most need to be financially independent. And what we're doing is you know, we've built the Vitality Money Program to drive shared value banking by encouraging people to objectively assess their financial situation and make the necessary changes and use the available tools we've provided, as well as the incentives to address these behavioral biases. I mean, in real terms, I mean, when you talk about incentives, you say if you exhibit a certain number of positive behaviors, you get not a cappuccino, not a juice, not a smoothie, but you get a higher interest rate. There actually comes to the point where there is a financial reward for behaving better financially. Exactly. Now, you know, the important thing with the rewards program, and David's idol touched on this, is that you need to have rewards that are valuable, they're tangible, and it needs to be something that clients value and that they can use. Now, obviously, what that means is going to vary to clients. So we have to give a range of rewards that, that's going to appeal to everybody. Now, we do this in the way of dynamic interest rates, where through improved financial health, we reward people with improved interest rates on their borrowings or high interest rates on money deposited with us. For other clients, it's more important to get those short-term rewards, like monthly rewards back on their healthy groceries or on their personal care spend. So what works for other of our clients is more lifestyle rewards, things like discounts on holidays, on holiday packages, on travel. They're able to sustain this behavior and rather save up and earn that reward to that international holiday every year. The important thing is that we're giving clients rewards that they value and things that they're going to work towards in a sustained manner throughout the program. You know, what's so interesting. You mentioned an international holiday every year. Listen to financial planners, you listen to financial advisors, and it's all about sacrifice, sacrifice now for the future. And far too seldom do we talk about actually life isn't about simply saving for a long term future. Life is about living, but finding a balance between the short term joy of life and the long term consequences of not providing enough for your old age. I think that behavioral balance is so absolutely pivotal. Absolutely. I mean, what we found is that in order to build a sustainable financial future, there's five key controllable behaviors that individuals need to manage. And through this, they can have a sustainable material improvement on their financial position and reduce the risk of defaulting on financial obligations in the future, but at the same time, getting to actually enjoy life and spend the money that they're earning responsibly. Is it a smart way to operate, David Zidel, to have this, rather than a big stick approach of fear and loathing and the old-fashioned way of telling people, you know, the, the cat food in the state run old age home where nobody will care for you and your children won't want to visit you because you'll be a failure. I've had a financial advisor briefly like that. The idea that you can actually positively incentivize thinking around money over the longer term seems to be considerably more productive. So I think it is. And just if you look at cigarettes, for instance, there's always been this thing where people tell you you're going to get lung cancer and they actually put pictures of these terrible lungs on the cigarette boxes and then people still smoke it. They stop looking at the box. It's it's not a complicated thing. I've seen people take cigarettes out of the packets and put them into cigarette cases because they don't like to look at the ugly pictures. Boom, job done. There you go. So a positive reward is always better. I think what's even better than a positive reward is if you can get people from the head into the heart because you're either thinking or you're feeling. And we often say, what were you thinking? You know, if somebody's in has in a car and you swear at somebody who cuts in front of you and two seconds later your wife says to you, what were you thinking? 
And the truth is you weren't thinking, you were feeling. So if we can move it, we can make the decision of where we want to go in the long term by thinking, but now motivate that through feeling, then you've got the best. And if that feeling can be a positive feeling. So like these rewards, if these rewards could be there in the short term, so now you're discounting the future and looking at what's happening right now, but if you can turn them also into feeling rewards, and I think that's what vitality is trying to do, but it's in a way of getting you to get those rewards, but that you feel good about those rewards. So whatever those rewards are, if they make you feel better, and even, as I said, if it's scoring 9 out of 10 on the gauge that they put up there, that would be fantastic. As long as it talks to you specifically about how you feel, because we react on our feeling, not so much on our thinking. Why do we buy stuff we don't need? I mean, every time we move house, and I don't know how often you've moved house, you're packing boxes and you're going, oh my goodness me, I've forgotten about this widget, this gadget, this golf club, this whatever it is, this pile of books, this particular author, whatever it might be. And you go, I wonder why I bought these things or this thing. And I haven't looked at it. And so you put it into another box, which says to be distributed. However, you distribute your stuff, you either give it away, or you take it to a charity shop, or you try and flog it on the internet. Uh, why do we do this to ourselves? It is this, again, I, I get the idea that it is this short term feeling, but surely we're smarter than that. Surely, we're better than that nowadays. But it turns out we're not. We're not. We definitely not. We always feel like we need to be rewarding ourselves. And I've worked hard and now I see this book or I see this thing that, you know what, I deserve it. And what's even worse than that is I see somebody else has got something and I'm better than them. So I deserve that. And in fact, I deserve an even better one. Research came out recently. It's astounding that the people who go bankrupt the most are people who live next door to people who've won the lotto not the people themselves it's the neighbors because of that whole concept of wanting to keep up with the joneses so if the joneses had won the lotto and now they can afford a fancy car they live next door to me and we almost feel like we need to compete with them and so we start spending as much as they spend even though potentially we can't so I get back to this idea of sustainability, David Leibovitz, and this idea that we need to amend our behaviors. And surely at some point, we're able to break the patterns of our past. Are you seeing people break those patterns? Absolutely. We've already spoken about financial plans and setting goals. But, you know, the important thing is, is if people start employing tools like using a budget to receive their savings goals, we'll see that people who use a budget to meet these savings goals are more likely to have larger access to emergency savings. And the people who budget on a regular basis are, are more likely to have money left over at the end of the month. And what often tends to happen with that money is that they'll use that towards additional saving. And then it does start driving that positive behavioral change through awareness. David Seidel, this idea of getting that balance right, striking the balance of enjoying life. People work hard, for goodness sake. People need to understand that it is okay to enjoy yourself short term, but you need to strike that balance. And I think that is something we often miss. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a case of do your homework first and then enjoy the rest. So there's a concept, there was a book that was written called The Automatic Millionaire. And 
It was written by another David, funny enough, uh, David Bachman. And it's quite a thick book, but there are three rules, really, that he mentioned in there. And he said the first thing is pay yourself. That's rule number one. That's taking some of your earnings and putting it away. Rule number two, funny enough, was first. Pay yourself first. So you put the money away initially, and then you live off the rest. Because then you've done your homework. You've done the exercise in the morning. You can go and eat the cheesecake in the afternoon because you know what, that you've already done what you had to do. And the third rule was do it automatically. That it's not a decision that you need to make every single day. You've made the decision. You've made it. And now it happens automatically. So you almost like you put a debit order on your own salary to take the money and move it away. And let's say you take 20% of what you earn, you put it away at the beginning of the month. You know that whole saying, we, the month lasts longer than the money or something along those lines. We've always got more month at the end of the money. So if you've already put it away, we live within what we've got and then we can enjoy it. And then we can do what we want with the other 80% because we've already done the homework, we've already put the money aside. So the key behind this is doing it initially and making it automatic. David Seidel, the five things we can do, I don't know, maybe three things, five things, you pick the number, we can do to change our behaviors, to change the way we manage money, to do it better. We're never going to be perfect. You know, we are emotional beings and we are going to go and buy the thing we don't need, the pen or whatever it might be. But how do we do better? So I think the first approach is you've got to find out the why. Why do you want to do it? And then you need to keep that at top of mind all the time and work towards it. The second thing is once you've made a decision of how you're going to do it, you've got to have a strong belief that it works. So I think one of the biggest problems with people not sustaining it is that they don't see results in the short term and then eventually lose track of it. So one of the best illustrations is a home loan or a mortgage bond. Do you know that if you spend 16% more on your repayments of your bond, only 16% more, you cut your bond life in half. And if you keep that on a sustained rate, after 10 years, let's say you take out a mortgage bond of a million rand. After 10 years, you would have paid your bond off where your neighbor who paid exactly what they should have done exactly on time would still owe 800,000. That's a massive difference. So if somebody first of all starts paying extra in their bond, in the first couple of years you don't see this big effect and so they stop doing it. So I think it's a way of first of all you've got to find your why, second of all you've got to understand that these little steps that look like they're not achieving much are actually achieving the right thing. So you've got to keep reminding yourself or have the confidence that that is what it's achieving and then you will stick to it. And then you've got to see what the overall goal is. So it's about that why with those pictures and then it's following through and then it's realizing that it has an impact and, and believing, really believing that it is. And if it's illustrated like this beautiful diagram or somebody explaining to you what the long-term effect is, I think people will follow it because then they can feel that sense of achievement. So the last thing is have some gauge showing you how you are achieving and to prove to you that you are achieving it, that it's not just 
hidden somewhere in the background. David Seidel is talking a little bit earlier about a really old school idea and this wonderful thing of motivational speakers going on stage and almost cutting pictures out of magazines or pasting photographs on whiteboards and going, yes, you can stick this on your mirror and getting crowds hyped up. It's a deliciously old school idea that I think is almost being replicated in the way in which the app works in terms of helping people to visualize their behaviors. Absolutely. So what we've done, and we've just enhanced the Vitality Money experience to make this clearer to clients, is we give them a view on the five controllable financial behaviors we've identified, and we set personalized targets for them, what they should achieve to meet their personal financial goals and to be considered financially healthy. And what they can see is for each behavior, we give them a ring. And the more closed this ring is, the more complete that behavior is, the better the client is in a position to be performing well in that behavior. And this gives clients a dashboard, easy to see view of where the room for improvement is in their financial plan. And what happens is if they go into this, we actually now give them a more detailed view that gives them detailed targets of what they need to achieve. They can see that based on their monthly income, this particular number is what they need to hit to have a sufficient access to emergency retirement savings. And the important thing is once they reach that and they've closed the ring and they can see they're in a good position, they can also then see other places in the app how they'll start getting the rewards to sustain that behavior. And what will also happen is as soon as those rewards start dropping or, or the behaviors change and the ring start opening again, they'll see their rewards drop, which can then start motivating them to then return to that original healthy behavior and hopefully sustain it in the long term. This idea of behaviors, how does the app help me change? These, these, these magical five behaviors. So what the app does is it conveys in a simple and easy to understand way what the behavioral targets are for you. And we've also now added sections to, to, to explain in simple language why the behavior is important and how to improve on it. If I touch on what the behaviors are, for example, we start with building emergency savings. And what we do is we've set a target that that needs to be three times your gross monthly salary. And we show clients exactly what those numbers are and what improvements in that will lead to in increasing your scores. If we look at your short-term debt, we'll tell you what is the target number you need to keep your debt repayments under to be in a position that your debt isn't starting to eat into your disposable income and become a problem. If we look at insurance, we give you a tick or a cross and we tell you very clearly if you have the right types of insurance cover to protect you against adverse events. What we've just added is an enhanced view of your retirement savings. And this is actually something that gave me a bit of a fright where we now show how in real time, if you adjust your savings and contributions towards your retirement vehicles, what your forecast retirement age will most likely be and how much you'll have to retire with. And when I looked at this assessment, I, my heart kind of jumped for a second. I was like, oh, God, I need to add, add <laughs> uh, increase my, my monthly contributions. And I immediately went and did that. And I saw my ring close and you know, I felt better. And it gave me a sense of comfort that I'm moving towards financial sustainability and independence in the future. And then the final behavior is managing your property and saving for the long term. And this is where we recognize that not all debt is bad debt. But when it comes to home and vehicle financing, the important thing is that you manage it and pay it down as quickly as possible. And we'll show clients how much they're paying off every month. And that score will go up the faster they pay it off. And it'll drive that positive behavior of reducing your debt and making sure that it's paid off and you have a place to live in in retirement. Or alternatively, you have assets to cover your lifestyle expenses. 
Last thought to you, David Liebertz, on this. In the short term, yes, the cappuccinos and things work. We see that it works. We see that it can change financial behaviors. But somehow I can't help but feeling that we need this stuff drummed into us in the womb. You hear all these populist things of mothers paying Mozart to babies in the womb to make them better at maths and things, and goodness knows whether it works. But maybe this podcast should be paid to babies in the womb to get the message through. Absolutely. I mean, we know that we inherit financial behaviors from our parents and many of the good and bad financial behaviors that we display as adults are things we learned through observation growing up at home. Studies have shown that children who grow up in households where you have open conversations about money and you're taught about financial management are more likely to become active savers, to budget, to save and to plan for retirement. And on the other hand, children who don't experience that or get exposed to that are the ones who are more likely to default or struggle in later life. And I think the way of breaking that cycle is by creating better access to financial education. Uh, One of the ways we're doing that is that we've partnered with Worth to offer our clients financial education courses at a more affordable, accessible rate. And by gaining this knowledge and financial education, we hope that they'll be able to make more informed financial decisions in the future to plan for their retirement and build financial independence. David Liebowitz, thank you very much. Associate Specialist in Technical Marketing and Discovery and the wisdom of David Zeidel, the lecturer at multiple business schools and also an author giving us some very deep insights and fabulous insights and great analogies when it comes to our attitude towards money. Thank you for listening to this episode of Your Money Matters brought to you by Discovery. Share the podcast and join the conversation on social media with the hashtag Your Money Matters and tag at Discovery underscore SA. You can subscribe to the Discovery podcast channel, Discovery South Africa, on your favorite podcast app or visit discovery.co.za to listen to all of our shows.